0: Hello and welcome back to the GT Hour, week 16, episode 16. And we are joined by a special guest this week. <laughs> Big GT has invited one of the boys along. James, thank you for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, boys. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Yeah, we thought we'd get um, Master Alexander on because obviously he's a good friend of mine and we do have some funny stories. Um, and we thought, you know what? To spice it up a bit, let's, um, let's share those stories. And uh, and thought, why not? Not
2: sure how all the stories will be allowed on
1: the podcast, but we'll uh, <laughs> see, how, see how
2: many are actually allowed to stay on.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's no, like, above 18, is there, like, rating? I think no. ours, like, may go to, like, a different level. Maybe. Well, oh. Moving on. To I still bear this. the scars, <laughs> both physical and mental scars of our adventures. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. My ankle is still sore. Your car's still written off. Shh. Yeah, let's not go with yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love just this. straight in Woo! there. With it. Oh, I've been oh, done like a Chiffer again. <laughs> All right, so
0: for the listeners at home, I think it'd be a good place to start with just to be to how, how you guys met. So, James, I'm going to come to you first because I feel like we're going to get the true story <laughs> from you. So, good how job. we met is
2: an interesting story. So, his mum uh, moved in next door to my mum, so we were neighbours over summer. Uh, I think it was in end of June, early July that they moved in if I'm not mistaken. George. Start of July. July yeah. So the first time I was going to meet George, my mum was like, oh, he's, he's quite tall. Um, he's going to be at the pub. Uh, he's coming out from a taxi. He was in London, I think, seeing his girlfriend at the time. And as he got there, I'd already pre-ordered him a Guinness, you know, as all good lads should do. Uh, he turns up and he's sweating. <laughs> George, what's wrong? I've only just met the kid. And he's like, oh, I left my phone in the back of the Uber. Oh. So the first time I've ever met the guy, he's left his phone in the back. Not only that, this is good friend material. For the next half an hour, with our shit signal of where we live, I'm I'm on the phone to Uber trying to get the driver to come back. And in the end, we had to pay the Uber driver an extra 20 quid to drive back and drop off the phone. And I think about four minutes later, he
1: downed about five Guinnesses and it all went from there, really. <laughs> I was so thirsty. I was so thirsty. <laughs> I literally did like four laps. of Because where, uh, where the pub is, there's like a cricket green, like just in the middle there. And I literally did like four laps of the cricket green to try and catch up with the Uber driver, (laughs) but didn't realise that if I'd have just gone left, I could have probably intercepted him, but I decided to go round the back and follow him to try and catch up with the car because I'm apparently Usain Bolt. <laughs> um yeah, it's just not good, but yeah, to be fair, I did down a few Guinnesses that day and it was a
0: first of many that we uh
1: that we, that we had a Guinness.
0: Yes, yeah, so that's how yeah. I met George really. <laughs> I love that because I remember this story only because George maybe not last year, I think it was the year before. But basically George didn't have a phone because he broke his phone or whatever and he basically lived without any means of communication for like six months and you just basically didn't you just couldn't really get in contact with him it was like batman just like yeah he, he appeared you know what i mean mate i was
1: undercover <laughs> i was working for mr6 so what can i say to be
0: fair be- we, we have that similarity
2: i went for a good few months and different points of my life of just not having a phone i've been through in the in the probably the 10 years i've had a phone i've been through about a good 23 25 phones
0: I have got
2: the worst track record with phones. I don't think I did about six in one year.
0: Are we talking recently? Are you talking recently? Um, Here, no.
2: Recently, I've got better. In the past, like three or four years, I've had about three phones. Um, So it's a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) Still bad, but it's a lot better.
0: (laughs) Still pretty shocking, but it's only because I say that because in today's day and age, not having a phone is like I don't know. I just don't know how people exist because it's like it's for me anyway. It's like an alarm clock, music contact social media like everything on there so george would like have he had his ipad that you'd kind of occasionally get in contact with him on facebook messenger and maybe he'd reply like weeks later or whatever (laughs) that's exactly what the situation was with me as well honestly i
2: I, not it's weird though because everything is on your phone literally your entire life and then you don't have it and about a week or two weeks later you're actually fine with not having it you have no problems about not hearing music because you just turn the radio on or something like that. You're not bothered about checking everything because you can't. And after two weeks of not being able to do it, you kind of go, I'm not really actually missing it that much. And then you don't go and get a phone for about another three months because until you eventually go, okay, shit, I actually should go and get something now. Until that moment,
1: you're quite happy just not having one.
2: Yeah, it gets to a point
1: where you're kind of like, oh, do you know what? I should start thinking about getting a phone because it was sort of during sort of obviously... It was like towards the end of like 2019 and then obviously went into lockdown like early 2020 and I still didn't have a phone. And I thought, oh, do you know what? There's genuinely no point. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not seeing anyone. And obviously the expense of a phone, obviously they're very expensive. So I was just like, do you know what? That's something that I just really don't need. I had the TV, had obviously radio and stuff like that. Didn't really need an alarm clock because I wasn't getting up for work because I was on furlough. So, yeah, I was like, what is genuinely the point of having a phone, which was great. And then it got to a point where you start sort of like going out, reintroducing yourself to society when we could. (laughs) And I was like, do you know what? These train journeys might be a touch better if I had some music to listen to.
2: Yours (laughs) is all right. I was in Amsterdam for a four day um, night out, shall we say, Uh, being in Spring Break Amsterdam to anyone who knows it. It is like a festival over four days in Amsterdam. I didn't have a phone both years I went to that festival. Wow. Like, try losing your mates in the middle of Amsterdam and having no means of communication by the numbers you've memorised in your own brain. Um, it was it led to some really interesting stories. but like you did actually meet a lot more people because you didn't have a phone. Because you'd just be like, look, no, I don't have a phone. Can I chill with you guys for a bit? Because <laughs> I've lost my mates and they'll find me eventually.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think that's where sort of like, if you're doing that, I think you've got to sort of have something, even like a burner phone. Like,
0: uh, <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah no i yeah. agree
2: on that
0: one being in another country i think is another level to it but i mean like if i was in london i feel like i'd be sweating enough not knowing where i was going i'd, like, I'd be able to make it home but if you're out with <laughs> your mates but being in another country jesus yeah because well, yeah, exactly... i didn't have a wallet because i lost my wallet on the first night like, out
2: and the oh my god went. And so I, what i was having to do was use someone else's phone to call nat west get Nat West to send over money from my account to one of my mate's accounts and then take it out on their card. Because <laughs> I didn't have any wallet because I'd lost it on the first night. It was <laughs> the most tragic holiday back in, what was it, 2018. So <laughs> it, was a, it was a proper tragic
0: last holiday. So, so I'm not that bad, am I, Gil? You're not big in, to be fair. Although I do rate similarities there in the fact that your bank card didn't work while we were out in America so you kept having to you just had like a ridiculous you either had like loads of cash on him so just GT would always have like thousands of dollars on him at once
1: (laughs) because every time I tried to use it whether it was like Walmart and ATM or anything apparently like I was it was fraudulent yeah so I couldn't get anything and I'd already and I'd already told them that I was away in America. San Tan, sometimes they're really good, and then other times they're just absolutely shockingly bad. That they, they think everything's fraud because you're using it in a different country, even though I've told you I'm using it in a different country. Yeah. yeah, not good, not good. Um, but speaking obviously of different countries, James, you and I are massive rugby fans, obviously yes. with the Six Nations. Oh dear. Uh, Gills, switched off already. He's like rugby, like what the hell is this? Like <laughs> zing straight over his head. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but obviously, quick recap, obviously England didn't do too well, finishing fifth. Um, I have
2: to say, this is probably one of the more, despite being English, it is one of the more exhilarating Six Nations, um, everyone excluding Wales, because I have a disdain for Welsh rugby. Um, (laughs) So I'm really annoyed that they won. But France, I should hate France, but I love their team. Their players are so... Uh, fluid in their, in their setup, the defense uh, with uh, Sean Edwards. I've probably got the name wrong, but I think that's right. Is their new defense coach, and he has turned them around in the past few years like to a level which is almost unheard of in how disjointed they used to be. Any time you play France, it was a case of are they all going to turn up or won't they? Whereas now, they always turn up. They always have that flash of brilliance, and that comes down to the training that they got. So, I do have an admiration, despite the, the English like, Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Because I was like, yeah, you know, I just don't want the French to win whatsoever. Exactly. And when we beat them, obviously, at Twickenham, like by, a, quick, by like, a few points, I was absolutely like over the moon. But to be honest, I don't mind Wales winning. I think yeah. they're like the only team that I can sort of see really? winning. Yeah, yeah, they're the only... T- Other oh, than England, it's yeah. probably Wales. Yeah. That's um So at. obviously, Six Nations, disaster for England. But obviously, the Lions Tour, South Africa hopefully I think they've confirmed that it's going to be played yeah but I don't think there'll be any spectators which is a bummer
2: because I was hoping to go but yeah um... I
1: was I looked at that and thought you know what England South Africa down in down in the old capes I oh. thought you know what this is a bit of me uh-huh. um are we gonna win are we gonna lose draw or are we just gonna just turn up
2: I mean how long's a piece of string it depends who turns <laughs> up I suppose
1: um I mean the other
2: thing is we have the talent in the Northern Hemisphere, especially since South Africa haven't played as a team for about well, nearly a year and a half or two years or whatever it was. Oh well, yeah, it'll be a year and a half, two years by the time they get to the Lions tour. They might not have played it until then. So we've got that on our side, and if we have the talent, it's just whether they turn up. It's it's exactly like England. We have the talent. World Cup, we should have won. We put out a well-beater performance. We just couldn't replicate it twice in a row. The Lions are the same can you keep replicating well beater
1: performances to get the get the championship? Uh, and would you take any England players on the Lions tour? Yeah, of course I would.
2: I mean, I'm English, but I mean, out of un, not being English alone, in the domestic leagues, all the Welsh teams in the Heineken Cup or, I oh got the wrong cup, or the European Championship, whichever one, last night, there was all four of them all got knocked out. And they're all just Welsh players. Because in domestic leagues, in rugby, it's more you're filled in by people from your country. So, They all got knocked out. The Scots didn't do that well. I think pretty much six out of eight or something like that, the English teams all went through. And obviously the French team smashed it, but they're irrelevant in this conversation. So, of course, I'd take English people. Like, Curry has to be there. That's a no doubt. Itoje has to be there. That's not a doubt. Um, Sinclair and Makovina Polar at prop have to be included in the squad. Whether they play every game or not is irrelevant, but they have to be included for the squad because they have been, without doubt, the two best props in the Northern Hemisphere for some, for some time. Well, especially more Mako. Okay. Uh, now he's back from injury. But I, there's so many positions that could be incredible.
1: Yeah, I think it's just going to be one of those ones, like you said, if we turn up, it's going to be good. <laughs> and if we don't... But I looked at some of the fans' ones, like on the Lions' Instagram page, and they only had... I think they had Maro Otoje, obviously, starting at five. And then they had Johnny May on the bench. And they were the only two England players that the fans had. Most of them were like Scottish, yeah. you know, like Finn Russell, Stuart Hogg were playing. <laughs> and you got like the Alan Wynne Joneses and stuff oh like that. Oh my but, God, uh...
2: I swear to goodness. I swear, if Alan Wynn Jones is on that Lions tour and actually plays a game, I'll be livid. No, I won't do anything, obviously, but I'll be <laughs>
1: <actually>. <laughs> <laughs> He's a god, I don't know what you're talking about. He's I hate Alan
2: Jones and he's not, he's, he's a great leader, but he's nearly 40 years old. There's better players than he, There are than, sorry, than him.
1: Yeah, that is true. Now, obviously, we had Gil's pal come on, George Long, and obviously, I was saying to Gil that you two have got quite similar, like, pathways. Um, and obviously, on the podcast, we'd like to hear, like, from our mates, obviously, that went to university. So, obviously, give us a bit of background, obviously, your university, your experience, and then, obviously, what you did what you did after. I mean,
2: firstly, you guys have a lot of... You know a lot of people called
1: George, for not the most popular name that I've heard.
2: Um... <laughs> You just need to get all the Georges you know on one podcast and just see the mayhem unfold of that. God, um, Jesus. Uni. I, I loved uni. I loved the experience of going to uni. I went, I've been to normal schools in my life. In year 13, I was at a boarding school. So I'd gotten used to being away from home and enjoyed it. So when I went to uni, I already, I wasn't like homesick or anything like that because I'd already been, had some experience to it. But I loved it. I loved being with all the people, meeting everyone going out excessively, uh, drinking too much as you do in your first year in freshers and stuff like that. don't like being in a classroom. Yeah, I don't like studying for something that I'm not that passionate about. And, and if you're passionate about your course, you'll fly. Or if you like hard work, you'll fly. But if you're someone like me who's, I'd like to say I'm fairly intelligent, but likes to learn loads of different things, if it doesn't inspire you or you don't feel passionate about it, you're just going to do something else to fill in the time because you don't really want to do it. And the problem with uni is you're given all the time in the world. And there's that age old problem of saying, well, I've got 10 hours to do something that's going to take me two minutes. And in those 10 hours, you don't manage to do it because you've got those 10 hours to do it in. Um, So I think that was the biggest problem for me is I just don't like education in a classroom. So I just didn't do my work as much as I probably should have. Um, But after a couple of years, I I left uh, because obviously I just decided it wasn't right for me. And I jumped into a sales job uh, down in Bournemouth because I went down to Bournemouth University. Uh, so I stayed down there because it's where I played rugby as well. Um, and then found a job around there and was there for about two years in sales,
1: um, which has got some interesting stories behind it. <laughs> so did yeah. you play Did you play any university sports? Because I know, obviously, yeah. Gil, you played university football, did not mm-hmm. you? Yeah. So sort of what – because I didn't do uh, – oh, yeah, I did play a few games at university, but I just – you've been the... to about
2: three universities haven't
1: you yeah exactly so it was <laughs> just, just pick
2: one mate definitely <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I can't I don't know what I'm doing but sort of, what were your two sort of like I'll start with you Gil sort of like what was your experience with sort of like university sports and then we'll go on to James
0: yeah I mean I loved uni sports I well so I went to kill uni obviously up north and um it was not the like, most sporty uni so I mean the, the teams weren't really like as much as they had like first, second, thirds, and fourths, they weren't really like based on how good the team were. It was more like the first team was just full of the third year students. So the, fir- the third year, um, the first team was full of all third years and all their mates. So they were like to played together. And because the main thing for us was just going on the way that he's going to different unis and getting pissed on the bus on the way back type thing. Um, so I had we had like a few games. I mean, a lot of it was more like varsity was kind of like the time when everyone was getting involved in the football. So like when we played against old St- Staffordshire Uni. And like our uni would just mop the floor with them every year type thing. Like training, yeah <laughs> we had umra, we had like amazing training facilities as well. We had like a brand new like four G pitch that was built, so we did it all there. But yeah, no sports teams Wednesday night obviously is like the SU classic night out, which for like football, not just football, but like football, obviously the rugby teams, the like ski teams like any kind of sport you can think of or out on a Wednesday night type thing at the SU absolute carnage but yeah like for for us or at least for me like it wasn't really as competitive as I think a lot of people would imagine university sports to be it was just more about like there's so many different things you can do like we had like American football we had like lacrosse we had so many different like sports badminton basketball everything you can think of but because the uni wasn't so much of a sporty uni it wasn't really as much emphasis on kind of like winning or that type of thing um so yeah that's how that's how my like sporting experience was at uni what about how about you james how was yours i think i agree
2: with you with the um the seriousness of it i think everyone saw this image in their heads you can blame america for this yeah <laughs> if, uh, if everyone assumes it's like that and it's not you could be the best rugby team in the country at a university and you walk through campus and no one would really give a shit exactly so, <laughs> so there's no there's no real um like there's no real importance in that sense I think it was a bit more serious than mine, um, but not massively. But uh, yeah, no, I, I loved it. And I love the togetherness of being with a, being with a group. And the, the best thing about it from a uni perspective, if you're going and you're going away from home, is it gives you a bigger circle of potential like people to meet and be friends with. You've obviously got your uni course and the uni you live with, but you might not get on with everyone all the time. So it's good to have an extra outlet and uh, rugby or a football or a sport is a really good outlet because of people who are like-minded and have similar interests in that area, at least. So you already know you've got that thing in common instead of just doing the same course or living in the same flat. Um, So I think there's that. But yeah, Wednesday nights were always um, interesting, I think, is the most uh, politically correct way to describe it. agree. I think we uh, we would always have, like, different themes. And I remember when I was a fresher, uh, (laughs) one of the themes was Trump versus Mexicans. So all of the second and third years Ooh, were dressed up Oh, well, that's Trump. wild. Yeah. So all the, all the second and third years were dressed up as Trump. And all the first years, including myself, were dressed up as Mexicans, basically wearing a sombrero and a poncho. And that's it. And pants, because you had to. <laughs> um, but you would go into a nightclub literally wearing a poncho, pants, and a sombrero. And most Strong. of the sombreros got nicked with about five minutes, because obviously the CCTV, no one could see your face. So they were like, they're going. <laughs> um but yeah so you just always had random crap like that and yeah, you're right the away days um it's the same thing you get the um bus pitches on the way back which is basically if it's your first away day just get your parents to take you home or something because the the bus journey that's <laughs> um it's scarring uh, it's it's a great like character building. exercise and character building <laughs> like, during it you just want you just want it to end uh, <laughs> but then you can't wait
0: to be the person doing it to someone else. Yeah, I can't even. I can't even imagine with rugby society. I mean, that's the thing. Everyone knows in their heads the uh, strength of the rugby society. I'm not going to say initiation, but the rugby society joining ceremony, shall we say? It's, yeah, I've had I've had a few, and they all
2: uh, they all differ. I actually have to say the, the worst people for it are university lot because they're all we're all quite young and getting, and well, immature at the time when you're 18 to 22 and yeah. you're kind of just getting yourself, and obviously it's a big old macho, and especially probably in rugby I'm assuming in football, it's a bit more extreme. When I joined a team and like I'm, like you do in football, you play for a club now. I play for a club in Bournemouth called Oak Medians and there you've obviously got some older heads like mid-30s or, or etc. who are part of the club and they'll be the ones actually running the bus pitches and stuff like that. So they'll do the extreme things but they know where the line is. I just think at university, there is no line, yeah. which unfortunately leads to a lot of stories, which, well, let's be honest, shouldn't have happened.
1: <laughs> so would you say if you were going to uni and obviously if you're, I don't know, would you say you have to be good at the sport to sort of no. In- no. enjoy it or mm. you could just literally just muck in? Cause I think- muck in. When sort of people start university and they see, oh, university sports teams, they think they may necessarily need to have played at like, I don't know, like a good enough I level. I think but is it sort of just a free-for-all?
2: I think it's a free-for-all. Like, well, when I went, there was people joining a dance would never set foot on a dance floor or couldn't barely walk, never mind dance. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't really matter. And because there's, there's, because there's so many teams, even for rugby and the rugby team of uh, Bournemouth, we had two teams. And the second team was basically made up of people who'd never really played or had played a little bit, weren't very good. It's like a development squad is what they call it normally. But it just means that anyone can get involved. And to be honest, all the rugby players just love everyone being part of the group. And I know it's the same for football and hockey and stuff like that. It's just being part of the group more than actually playing the sport um, if you can't play it anyway if you can play obviously then you want to play the sport but otherwise it's actually just about meeting people who you you know you like rugby hence why you're going to go and join it or you know you like football so you're going to join it it's not being about good it's about being people who are
0: similar and having that sort of bond for sure i think as well especially in football i mean it's one of the more popular sports at uni so we had like six or seven teams at the beginning of each year type thing and like it's funny as well because i think with sports in particular it helps you develop a good group of friends because the people who are like the better players that have have the backgrounds in these potentially academies or like high-level squads they're normally very similar personality or they have very similar personalities so they'll be really friendly and then those people that aren't as serious that don't take it as seriously who to be honest are more fun and more entertaining to hang around with (laughs) they'll be in like the lower squads and that'll be who you'll hang around with because it's like that's the way it is so like basically what i'm saying is, is that for the better squads normally it's more boring people and for the worst squads it's normally more entertaining people so realistically if you want to have a good time and you're there for a good time you want to be in the more, the worst <laughs> squads. because the best thing with being in the worst squad as well is that yes sometimes you can go and you're getting pumped so yeah i mean no one wants to get beaten badly in football matches and i think all of us will have in a football or rugby match or whatever been beaten badly but <laughs> The camaraderie you get when you have been beaten badly and then the next week you turn up and you beat someone else badly or you just narrowly beat someone that you shouldn't be beating type thing. Honestly, it's It's, ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah, it's
2: it's a feeling that you can't quite describe because you're just, especially when you join a team thinking that you're not going to think much of it and you're just kind of there for a bit of a laugh, you'll be surprised how quickly a team mentality can infect you. Like, you'll be so surprised because you'll lose badly and you'll be really annoyed. And you'll spend that night, you'll have a beer with the lad, but you'll all be there thinking we shouldn't have lost. And you know the next time, when you never really train, you'll go and train. Yeah. So it's great. And then you'll meet them there as well. So you're doing stuff in your life in uni instead of just sat in bed till two watching Game of Thrones like you did. Yeah, that was
1: true to be fair. <laughs> be fair, I started season five. I went straight, nose dive straight in season five. And then, yeah, it's because all sort of like, I was adamant that I was never going to watch it because it wasn't sort of my thing. And then I watched like, the first two seasons with all like my flatmates and stuff, and I was like, "Oh, do you know what? This isn't too bad." This, and then decided to binge watch <laughs> one to one, uh, yeah, the first five seasons in a week, which is an impressive yeah, but, beat when they're all. but about, you know, it was uni; there was nothing really doing. I was, I was, I was hung over it, most of the time. Doing sports team. <laughs> I was hung over most of the time, so it was kind of just like a way to sort of not have the room spinning, and it was something that I could actually focus on rather than sitting there going, oh, "I'm never
0: doing this again." Oh, uni is key, king. Procrastination time, and it is the time that you can burn through series. you will oh, go man. through, you'll go through the IMDb top rated <laughs> so really series. So I, I try and nah, do that nah.
2: now, and I actually have run out. I, I've done like the top two fifty, and I've run out of films. Oh, like sure. if you, do, you, yeah. I did think I, I think I actually might have, but honestly, it is king procrastination, especially if you've got a gaming console with you as well. Because I took mine down with me. I literally never did work. i just sit there, play like FIFA or Call of Duty or something, watch films and just go and get drunk with your flatmates. And that was, that was pretty much it. And then do the minimum amount of work, especially in first year, because obviously none of it counts.
1: Literally. Yeah, I think that's sort of like the first year, sort of like uni in a nutshell really is, it's, it's just a write-off.
2: Just try, just try and make sure you don't fail the exams. You have to repeat the F. <laughs> yeah, all it literally, is. that's what it is. Which is getting 40%. <laughs> which is, when you're at school, that's a fail.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's nuts. But that's what it's, we aim for. Yeah, it's nuts here. that sort of, when it's you go through school, it's like 50% and above. And then when you go to like a higher level of education, where it's supposed to be like even harder...
0: The goalposts are the just The goalposts lower. are yeah, like, like, what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous.
2: <laughs> The goalposts have gone from like, oh, I got eighty percent. Damn, I should have got ninety five. to I got eighty percent. Oh my god, I'm the king of the world. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: I'm top of the yeah, class. Yeah, it's just
1: it's such a weird sort of like dynamic. I think university and obviously you know, fortunate enough that I managed to go to like obviously one over here and one overseas is um, I think yeah, I think if you go on, what
2: you... Well, sorry, I was just going to say, what would you say the main differences are having been to both between an American university? Well,
1: and the thing you? the thing that I loved about american university and why i think american university is better is that they do the examinations before the breaks i've said this to gil and i've said this in a podcast before oh yeah so if in the lead up to christmas you'll do the examinations for the end of that year before the christmas break so christmas you can actually enjoy it you don't have to revise you're allowed to enjoy your holiday (laughs) instead of getting through to like january 2nd going oh, I've not revised and I've got an exam on the 6th.
0: Like, <laughs> and then you're
1: panicking and you're like, oh, and you don't really feel like you can enjoy it. But I think that's what they do well. It's all before the holiday. So you can actually enjoy it. And then you come back and you do a new set of modules and stuff like that. So that's why I think American University is better. Obviously, I think, I don't know. And obviously there's a stigma with American Uni sort of like being brash and sort of outlandish and 24-7 partying. But I think you get that here. I don't think there's much difference. Yeah. It's just the movies think, and Hollywood, I, I think, amp it up a bit.
2: I think the best thing is when you see something on Facebook, like, I I comfortably think the 60-odd million people yeah. in England would outdrink the 330 yeah. in America. And you're like, yeah, comfortably. But for some reason, we still think their unis are worse but, <laughs> for drinking and stuff. But I don't know how. I think it's just because they play all the games.
0: It's just there's Whereas more chaps. There's, there's more traps at their unis, isn't there? Like Yeah. These, yeah, like, alpha whatever... Frat parties, just like full of absolute yep. spanners. That you just, basically that's like, all it is. It's basically just comparing sizes every day. You know, you do
1: something, and then the next week someone's doing it, but they're doing it slightly better. And it's more sort of like I think it's more of a, an unofficial competition between the the universities, especially if like the big universities. Um, it's more of a competition on who's the who's the messiest, you know, who's got the loosest chit, who's got the biggest bros, who's got the best BDE, <laughs> you know. It, it's just that, and it's like, well, I tell you what, just put yourselves in a league and
0: just compete like that. And what what I th- what I think it is is because it's all directly comparable. So when you're in the US, you have a uh... GPA and it's like I have a this like specific number, so you know numerically you're better than this next person. But like in the UK, say you've done your A levels or whatever, you've done you do like three different A levels. Someone else, someone who does like physics, maths, and chemistry, but gets like all B's, whereas someone who does like I don't know social sciences, business, and economics, that gets all A's. Like it's not really like someone's going to think they're better than someone else. But if in America, I imagine it to be, oh, I've got a 5.0 GPA, therefore I'm better than you that's got a 4.8 GPA type thing. Like all the sports especially must infuriate that cycle like yeah it's all like measurements like we're D1 so therefore we're better than you because you're DT whereas yeah like...
1: I remember sort of my first day in the soccer team they made me sign a contract I had to sign an NCAA contract to say that I could play and one of the stipulations was you must average like a 2.5 GPA which is, which is basically like mm-hmm. a C grade C luckily I was like 3.7 3.8 I was always in that bracket so I didn't really have to worry about that some of the guys there sort of were like 0.6 GPAs and it's like, and they were sort of, and they, and what they're clever at as well is if you are not doing so well one semester and you get to choose like your modules to the next one, they'll purposely choose like easy subjects, especially if you're high school going into college and you think, Oh, I need say like a 3.0 GPA. It's like a B, like the C plus sort of B around that range. And, currently you're sitting at like a 2.5, you'll, you'll choose the easy subject so you can boost your GPA. It's a cheat system. Mm-hmm. It's for
2: me just is it, it hinders anyone learning anything productive because all you're doing is trying to get a certain number, which I think is why, I don't know how we talk, end up talking about educational systems, but I think <laughs> that's why in the UK, I think it's slightly better because you're not picking subjects to get a certain grade. You're picking them because you prefer to do art because you're an artist instead of doing physics, which makes no sense to you and vice versa. Whereas in America, you kind of got to do anything to get, well, you got to do everything. And then when you actually get to it, they only look at the numbers. So it doesn't really matter what you do behind it. Yeah.
1: I mean, the whole GPA like, system I is. I might be No, you're, sort of, you're on the right lines there. It's sort of all about, sort of not, it's not necessarily what subjects you take. It's more, like Gil said, it's more based on that GPA score. And if you have a good GPA score, then you'll go to a good university. If you don't, then you, unless you're like an athlete at the age of 14, then there's no chance of you going to a good university with, like, a 2.3, 2.4 GPA. Yeah, exactly. But, um, obviously, moving slightly, as Gil would say, Segway, but not as smooth as Gil. Um, obviously, you're quite... <laughs> I
2: don't think you'd ever be as smooth as Gil, would you, George? Genuinely,
1: oh, I aspire to be a smooth as smooth like as Gil. I
0: like this James ah, guy. Bring him back. I aspire to that <laughs> level of
1: smoothness. The guy's ridiculously smooth. That's like everyone. He's oh, just, everyone it. loves him. And it's genuinely a pain. Oh,
2: Will you marry me, Gil?
1: Oh.
2: <laughs> Hang
0: on,
1: What's
0: this? He's stealing my uh, man, Gil. What are George, you doing? You stealing my mistress, mate. You're my <laughs> mistress, George. Me and you were bromance
1: 2019, GT, mate. Step aside. Oh, Shocking, mate. But obviously, you... Obviously, Gil's not that big of a skier. But obviously, I know, James, you've done a ski season. And... Um, and that, so, and obviously we had Longy on the podcast and he sort of done a ski season, but yours was, I want to say slightly different in the sense that you were a chef. So what was your sort of experience Ooh. with, oh yeah, oh, James can cook. James can cook. And Ooh. I know this firsthand <laughs> because of Mothering Sunday, um, where James actually <laughs> cooked me, my mum, his mum, a lovely meal, obviously with my help. If, oh yeah. <laughs> Don't be up for a he second. He nearly
2: poisoned us, mate. He nearly poisoned us. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, nah, he, he was a good sous chef. He cut up
1: an onion. I genuinely um, did. I was
0: so uh, proud. <laughs> good for you, bigger.
2: Uh, no, so my, my ski season. So I started mine off in Zermatt, which is over in Switzerland. Uh, and the best way to describe it is it's millionaires and seasonaires. And that's it. Because it it's very exclusive there. And we were, we couldn't, it was £10 a pint that was that was how much it it's cost. Like, Ten pound a pint of and it was it was expensive, but we got paid well for it. But I didn't actually start as a chef. I started as like a, a breakfast chef and host. So I would look up, I'm sure like longer, look after the guests, um, do the bed, do the cleaning, um, cook the breakfast stuff like that. Stay in the chalet if not all of them are gone skiing. Lay out everything for the afternoon teas. Be there to serve the wines at dinner. All of that, basically, like you're in a hotel and a restaurant at the same time. Um, sort of vibe is basically what hosting is. And then when I left Zermatt in January, I went over to the Trois valleys which I'm going to sound very pretentious now i said that, but it's the Three Valleys over in France um, because there's three valleys, uh, Courchevel, Maribel, and Valtarenne are the, are the names of them. Um, so I went over there and then I became a private chef in private chalets. So uh, what that meant was I was doing breakfast, I'd make afternoon tea, I'd do kids, um, dinner and dessert, and then for the adults I did canapes and starters, and maids and desserts all by myself. So I was up probably every morning about f- five in the morning, prepping everything for the day, getting breakfast ready to go on the table by about half seven-ish, I'd say. Everyone was starting to come down for breakfast, the half seven, eight, um, people would start to move. And then in the evenings, it would, I'd have, like, a couple of hours off in the day because I'd have to clean the kitchen as well. And then in the evenings, I'd be in until about 11, 12 at night and go straight from there to the closest
1: pub. <laughs> That's a strong, <laughs> that. So did you sort of get much time, was. Like, like, skiing? Was that, were you exposed to sort of, like, the slopes? Or was it, were you mostly, like, sort of – obviously, you were focused on the chalets, but was it sort of yeah. – you were concentrated just there. You didn't really sort of get time to ski.
2: Well, I think, obviously, when you're, when you're all on a ski season –
1: the companies
2: and the guests both know you're there, ski first, work second, because you don't do a ski season unless you want to go out and ski and be in the mountains. So I think there's already the unwritten rule, and because of that, some companies will give you two days off, most will give you one. So I'd get a day off a week, which, if I'm not mistaken, was Wednesday. Uh, And then chefs would also get an evening off, because we did more work than the hosts, um, and the hosts would have a couple of them, so they'd rotate in the chalet, whereas it's just one chef in the chalet. So we'd get an evening off as well. So we'd get uh, almost like a nearly two days off. and then On one of the days, you'd be, still be working until about 11. But after that, you'd have that whole rest of the day off. Um, so you did get like a good day and a half off at least. And during the middle of your day, you'd finish at 11 and wouldn't need to get back in if you wanted to rush until about 5, if you didn't, half 4. So you'd have like a majority day or middle of the day to go out and ski and drink, basically. That's
0: good. And then to make sure you were completely correct when you came back in the evening (laughs) how how did you get into this then james is it was it something like you went through a company or it was a friend recommended it or um so with the ski season itself i
2: was about to start a new job which i didn't do and then i was thinking i could go back into doing a proper person's job like actually having a real job (laughs) i thought i'm 21 what's the point Let's go and have some fun. I've always loved skiing. I've skied since I was younger. Um, I've always loved the mountains. I thought there's no better time in my life now at the age of 21 to take some time out. Like, we're so young, we're going to live for another 80 years. I may as well enjoy my early years as much as I can. So I went out and did it. And that's how I kind of wanted to go and do it. Um, through, I actually went through just searching loads of different websites. Like, it's pretty easy to find all the companies in one place. It's almost like LinkedIn, but for ski seasons, there's a couple of websites like that um and not they don't just do ski season they do summer as well but there's websites that do and have all the companies on it just like you and
0: LinkedIn, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. linkedin sorry uh, indeed or something like that when you were out there then was there other people that were doing a similar thing to you that you kind of hung around with was it the hosts that you were more friendly with was it other chefs i think it's a good mix like most people who do a ski season
2: minor chefs are they'll do it for maybe a season two or three seasons because obviously after a point you need to get a real job whereas when you're a chef that is kind of a real job. because you get paid con- considerably more in some areas uh, than others. So some of the chefs have been doing it for about 10, 12 years and that's what they do. They go and do ski seasons every year and they'll do summer seasons going on private yachts and stuff like that. And these guys can cook, <laughs> like really cook some of them. Um, so it was quite fun learning, learning off them. But most of the hosts, uh, people before uni who want to take a year off or just after uni is probably your most common age. Um, so you've got like some like very few actually 18, 19 year olds, because most companies just don't take them. Yeah. Because they're too young in, in our field of work. <laughs> most people you'll get are between about twenty-two to twenty-five, are probably the biggest age range of um
0: biggest amount of people in the age range. So have you always been into cooking then? How did you get into that? Was it something you'd done before? Like was it was it like, oh I see this person chef thing, I'm interested in food. I've done it before, or was it just like, do you know what? I reckon I could do that. <laughs>
2: It was kind of a mix of the both. So like, I've always loved cooking. Um, when I was younger, my dad and my stepmom always used to have like summer parties and I'd always help with the cooking. I'd always do like the catering side of things. I'd work with the catering agency or wherever it was. And I always loved cooking. And then in about 2015, I went and worked in a Michelin star restaurant in London, which is no longer around, as a prep chef because I knew the chef. He was, so I went and worked there for three months. And at that moment, I knew I never want to work in a professional kitchen because <laughs> it was hard. It was hard. Uh, and it was long hours. There was an hour into London, an hour back out for me on the train. So, and the hours were, I think I'd finish at 1am and have to be back in at 6. So would leave me with like two or three hours sleep a day and you'd get one day off every two weeks. That was how it worked. Wow. It was, it was intense. I mean, I, I was, but it was in 2015. So I was young and it was the summer before uni. So I was like, I may as well make some money. Um, so, yeah, so I did that. But then I hadn't been in the kitchen up until 2020 or December, December 2019, early 2020. And they were just like, do you want to do this? And I was like, am I going to get trained? And they said, yes, you'll have a week's training. I went, brilliant. Go on, then I'll do it. Uh, so that's sort of how it came about. That's
1: crazy. In like the shallows, did you have sort of like, because I can imagine you must have had some difficult people, especially... Like if they're gazillionaires, you know, just pouring in, they must be. I want this and I want that. And was it like that most of the time? A little bit, or no? You'll
2: be surprised. Like we had some high net worth clients in there, and they were lovely, pretty much all the time. I remember the worst family I had. Um, I'll put I'll put it to you this way: if you search the guy online, there's a few articles on the BBC, Sky, Daily Mail, all of these. He had to sue Google and another search engine to take down 4,000 different websites that had stuff that were about him on it.
0: Oh, Jesus.
2: Like, basically saying, like, um, bad, bad things about him. I can't remember what exactly. And none of them, some of them were true, some of them weren't. But the whole point was he had to get over 4,000 different websites oh, because, of, because of who he was, right? So he came, and it was actually his son who booked. And he wanted the, the the older guy to go to like the highest level um and the most luxurious option that we had, which was definitely not the one his son picked um I'll, and so for Christmas dinner, he was over there for two weeks over christmas, Christmas dinner he'd ordered in before we before he flew over uh, like a duck a, um salmon and venison right which which is deer salmon and the duck. Well, this had to be brought over from France because Zermatt's in quite an excluded part of Switzerland. Like, to get to it, you can't drive into Zermatt. You have to get a train to the nearest town and get this weird, like, taxi thing to it. But it's not a car. So it's it's very inaccessible. The day before, so Christmas Eve, he goes, I actually want to change my three meats. I don't want any of those. I want beef, turkey, and something else. Now, we're in an inaccessible place on Christmas Eve. (laughs) So we had to, before Christmas Day find i think it was on christmas Eve. it was the day before so the 23rd because he found it but on the 23rd he said i want new meats and we had to find him so there was that sort of stress and he was just he was just an arsehole <laughs> <laughs> i've got you know there's a show called below deck where they i've never watched it but we're told that they basically are really nice to the clients and they'll go back beneath and be like dickhead <laughs> pretty much what we like right it was one of those guys where you just go you just are not a nice person, and you're making my life purposely difficult. However, at the end, he gave a very, very generous tip, so I didn't mind him as much. <laughs> for the Two weeks that he was there, hated him absolutely. I did not like going and working in that uh, chalet when it was just when he was there. He was a very difficult man, but yeah, there's some yeah, there's some interesting stories which I probably would be slapped with a. Um, a lawsuit. If I told them, <laughs> and anyone actually heard them, because <laughs> you all had to sign like NDAs at different points when we worked for Bramble because of the people who were there. Like you had diplomats there. I remember a pop star was there. Oh, I can say it now because it's ages ago. But Ed Sheeran was one of our guests at one oh, point. Wow. So we like they worked. So we really had to sign these NDAs because they were actually very influential people, and you can't even let anyone know else in the company sometimes if they don't want them knowing. It's just the only people who are working in that chalet can know. So it is quite tight on security when it comes to really high net worth. But most people who go middle income families who just don't, don't really care.
1: Mate, that's crazy. Imagine working at one of these places in a remote part and, and you just see like Ed Sheeran pop in and you're just like, oh my God. Because like Ed Sheeran's like, that, that's a big deal. Like, he's a big deal.
2: Oh yeah, I, I was, I was, I'd seen him once before because in my year 13, I went to school near Ipswich at a school called Framlingham. And for anyone who's an Ed Sheeran buff or nerd, knows that he went to school at the school right next to Framlingham It's where his parents are from was he's from and he it was the year he did his like eight months sabbatical he ended up back being in the town and we kind of saw his van and we saw him we're like, Ooh, like basically like school guys um, <laughs> okay. not that we went over and said anything to him but we were just like oh my god it's so cheering. so when I saw him again I was almost like oh my god it's you again but I couldn't because I'd never actually met him the first time. But I'd just seen him. Um and obviously you can't really be like, Oh my god, hi, yeah, and you're be fanny because you're meant to be very professional. So I was like, Hello, hello, how are you? Sort of thing. And that was it. But yeah, he I don't think he even skis. He just he brought his own music set up and he literally sat in one of these
0: chalets. Um and just read music and walked around the town and stuff like that. I was going to say, I, I can imagine that it's not very professional for you to go, oh my God, I went to school and saw your bus and we were next door. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh my God, can you just sign my hand? because I
2: haven't got any paper? <laughs> exactly. no, it's like yeah, bloody, I'm not one of
0: these again. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, yeah. So, the, um, yeah, you can't really be
2: doing But it obviously,
1: that, your but... skiing experience has yeah. brought you onto fresh new pastures, has it not, James? and this is maybe a plug we'll, we'll call it a plug but obviously you've started a business based on your experiences during a ski season
2: yes i have yes um it's still it's, it's still a startup so don't worry people if you're all listening and want to find my website it's not up yet um but the company's called chalet valley uh, the reason why is Valley in France is obviously Valley with a little accent. So that's what we went for, because we're going to be based in the three valleys. Um, and basically, while we were out there, we could just see so many nuances that weren't being taken advantage of. Because um, obviously, the place I worked at first, Bramble, is seriously high level. When I worked at the second place, called Ski for Me, is not. It's like a normal, normal place. Like most normal places, you just get middle-income families. But there were so many things they could have done for not much expense that they could have then hiked the price up to make it a bit better, but not by like thousands, but by an extra 500 quid or an extra thousand, which when you're talking that the week costs 10,000 anyway, if you're adding an extra thousand worth that, they're getting so much more for it. They're happy to pay it. They got to see the worth in it. And we could just see so many areas where things could be improved so easily for not much cost. Um, and I was, and I spoke to one of my friends and he was like, yeah, I thought this before as well. So I was like, oh, sod it why don't we do something about it? Why don't we start a business and actually try and do something? And it came at the perfect time because obviously I'd just come back into the first lockdown. This was last April. Um, and I was meant to be going to New Zealand for another ski season, which obviously didn't go ahead. So I was kind of sat at home and we had all this time and I went, well, I'm never going to have this time again may as well, make something of it. So uh, yeah, we started it then. And that's
1: where So sort on. of give us a bit, a bit more detail of sort of what it is the company will actually do in the future. Is it sort of, say all new person like i want to i want a job at a valet or is it more for um like people wanting to have a chalet to rent
2: both really so what we'll we'll basically be three industries in one and like in like a, a kitchen so we'll be doing all the cooking and cleaning like you would in inside a chalet so anytime you go to these chalets you're fully looked after unless you ask not to be because um, there 's different options, but if the normal traditional way is you get there you 've got host looking after you, cleaning everything up after you, everything like that you 've got chefs doing the breakfast, the lunch, the dinner, whatever you need afternoon tea, all of that so we do that side as well um, and obviously you rent these chalets off the people who actually own them um, because they cost like thirty forty million a chalet or something stupid so obviously you can 't buy one because as a startup so what you do with most places do is you rent off the owners so they can come for a week or two free. So, when you're renting off them, you look after the property as well as looking after the guests. Um, and obviously, that means I employ people to look after the guests and be the chefs, but I'm also getting people to come and stay
1: with me. So that as well. sounds pretty cool. Like, i I happily, like, it sounds such funny. an interesting thing because obviously, you've experienced both worlds of it. And then to sort of find that, mm. that niche, that corner in the market that you can sort of, like you said, exploit and sort of make it easier for people yeah. that like you found certain things difficult. So you're sort of making it easier for those people that are completely novice at it.
2: And- 100%. I think I was lucky enough when I was younger to be in a position where my family could actually go on one of these chalet holidays. Um, so I've experienced both sides of it as well. So I know exactly what the customers feel like because I've been one. And now while I'm older, I've, I have now see the worker side of it. So I know there's a, there's a balance that needs to be found between trying to do everything for the customer but actually making sure that your workers actually enjoy their job because you're only there for one reason which is to do a ski season you're not there to work for me if that makes sense so um, you've got to find that balance and I think that the luxury the luxury I've had of being able to see both sides of it has given me like an invaluable experience in that sort of so thing
1: So that's, that's nuts but do you think do you think this would have been about obviously university you only did a couple of years do you think that helped university sort of what you learned did you think it hindered it do you think if you'd have stayed the full course would you have been in this position to have started this i don't think the, i
2: don't i don't know i mean uni itself yes has helped me for the people skills that it gave me of meeting people from different backgrounds instead of just your school you go to, meeting people who went to private school and state school, people who have mansions to people whose parents are on the dock. Like, it doesn't matter where um, you come from in life. You mix with people. You have to. You haven't got a choice with who your flatmates with. Uh, You haven't got a choice about who's on your course and who's in your seminar groups. So you get a really invaluable experience of actually getting to adjust how you act and how you behave and how you want to be seen in front of everyone and it also means when you then meet someone in life no matter what walk of life they're from you can empathize or relate and actually speak to them instead of talking and saying in one sentence and being like I don't really know what to say now we don't know anything together so that was a really invaluable experience um the course I did was law and economics so for two years of that it gave me a lot of use when it actually comes to legal things because I have a different understanding of like when I look at it, I actually understand what I'm reading and where bits will be a bit more. So that's helped. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say university yeah. definitely. Helped. See
1: kids, if you want to own a business, I'm <laughs> saying go to university, maybe not do the full course, but basically
0: get what you need and then head on out of there. Oh, all the most successful people are university dropouts, James. So you're following the right pathway. You're following the oh, right stop pathway. Stop it! Yeah, <laughs> you're you're
2: you're waiting for
0: that ring, aren't you, mate? <laughs> oh mate, you yeah. know it. You know it. It's so funny, oh, isn't it? back on. A lot of people, a lot of people in business anyway, they do something and they're like working in an industry and they just look at it and they think, why aren't they doing this? Why is this not yeah. a thing? Like, and it's so crazy that industries that have been around for like if not like decades almost centuries these types of mm. things people go in and, and with like new experience new eyes new kind of any and it's battling how it's not been done before but yeah it has exactly or so. someone's just not doing it well like someone might be doing it yeah, exactly. and doing it a horrendous job so I wish you the best of luck with that James. it sounds like It's something that you have a very deep understanding of from working in it and also experiencing it. So uh... I
2: think think I've done that with both of mine, to be fair. So because the second one I have is called Game Day Nutrition and that's aimed at sports um, and like giving you a sports supplement. Like yourself, you play football. Mm -hmm. What do you drink or have to kind of get you energised for the game? There's nothing really out there that's sports centric to your sport is there? Or that doesn't give you like a massive caffeine uh, impulse on your heart rate. Mm-hmm. So I think because of that and having played rugby for so many years as well, it was kind of, well, we want something to improve our game, but I also want to be alive for after the match <laughs> instead of being on the absolute caffeine down yeah. and, and wanting to go to bed after sipping my first beer. So it, <laughs> so I think we, we came up with a product based on that, but what I'm trying to say is, yeah, you're right. You Anything you want to create a business in, Make sure it's something you're either passionate about or know something about or have an experience in. And the biggest tip of all is do it with someone else. Because creating a business plan and doing all of that, it sucks. It's boring as hell. And there's so much research you have to do. I started my business plan for this place last May or June. And it's still not completely finished. There's still bits we're trying to change and work out. There's so many things you just don't anticipate. Um, But there's so many boring times that when you're with someone else... You've, you've said to that other person, I'm going to have this done by this date. So if it was just you, you'd be like, oh, so I'm leave it another week. Without actually saying that, you would end up leaving it another week. But because you've got someone else relying on you and you're relying on them, sometimes that's that extra motivation you need just to get the bit done. And every, you're not going to be able to motivate yourself all the time. And it's also a lot more fun because you've got someone who's sharing your idea with you and coming up with different things that's going to help you as well, hopefully. And if they're not helping you, well, then get a new partner. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's so
1: true. You never know. We might be hearing like yeah. a social network 2.0 featuring yourself, James. Right, well, Mr. Alexander, I think we've taken up far too much of your time. I know you're a very <laughs> busy doing, man.
2: i Happily managed to squeeze yeah. this in. I'll, I will definitely do this again. I've loved it. Oh, yeah. Right, well, well thanks so much for
1: having me on, guys. I'm very much looking forward to next, next i was about to say next week, next time. Yeah, no worries, Big It's, being, good, it's been good to have you on, mate. And uh, we'll catch up soon.
0: Thank you so much for coming on this week, James. Yeah, appreciate it. And uh, thanks everyone for listening at home. We will speak to yeah, you again next you.